Hey, guys. Yes, Ben? Due to a hilarious mishap involving a banana peel and a sharp blow to the head from a pineapple, I have amnesia. Oh, no. Oh, no. Apparently, we're going to be running a podcast conference called Intelligent Speech on a thing called the Internet, but I don't remember anything about it. Could you bring me up to speed? Oh, well, that seems like an unlikely conceit, but sure. Intelligent Speech is an online conference that connects thoughtful online content creators with their community in an intense one-day online event. This is our fifth year conducting the conference and our fourth running the conference online. Our event this year will be taking place November 4th from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. EST. The conference is a three-ring circus of content with around 24 hours of live presentations and roundtables happening in four digital rooms. Each session has 20 minutes of content and plenty of time for questions from the devoted audiences. There are also three keynote speakers, Sebastian Major of Our Fake History, Daniele Bolelli of History on Fire, and Rebecca Larson of Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. Wow, that sounds intense. What if two people are like her presenting at the same time? Or I get a pie in the face and can't make it. Well, good news. The entire event will be recorded for ticket holders to view later at their leisure. Wait, pie? Hold on, hold on. A ticket. How do I get one of those? Easy. Just go to our website at intelligentspeechonline.com, go to the tickets page, and buy a ticket today. There's a link in the show notes, of course. What? The tickets are $30, but we are running an early bird special where the tickets are only $20. And even better, as a listener to this show, you will be able to get an additional 10% off by using the coupon code they will provide you in the show notes or in a minute. What an amazing deal! Then, was this just an elaborate ploy to get us to read an ad? Quite likely. So go to intelligentspeechonline.com and get your ticket today. The host of this podcast will be there. I'm Roberto. And I'm Brendan, and together we're ranking the Russian rulers from Rurik to Putin to see who gets to spend a summer in Sochi or gets sent off to Siberia. This week, ruler 14 and a half, Oleg of Chernigov, the son of woe. And before we jump into today's episode, we want to tell you that we're part of Intelligent Speech this year. We will be participating at the Intelligent Speech Conference on November 4th from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we will be presenting on a topic within the Soviet sphere. And uh, stay tuned for a quick hearing on what the intelligent speech topic is. I have not told Brendan just yet, but he will figure it out <laughs> eventually. If you want a 10% discount code, you can use the code ZAR, that is T-S-A-R. And if you buy it, the tickets before October 1st, you only pay $20 plus a 10% discount. So it's about, I think, 18 um, so the code is ZAR, T-S-A-R. And any tickets you buy using our code is supporting the podcast. And uh, then also we want to let you know about another Rexypod called Imperfect Men. Hello, I am Steven, one half of the podcast Imperfect Men. I'm Cody, the other half of Imperfect Men. We discuss the people widely considered founding fathers, their contributions to our country's founding documents, their legacy, and whether they're a founding father or a floundering father. (laughs) 
So follow us on Twitter at ImperfectMenPod and listen and download us from any of your favorite podcast platforms. I'm Cody. And I'm Steven. And we are Imperfect Imperfect Men. So, Brendan, I really had fun listening to Imperfect Men, especially when you're learning about the stars and the duds of American Revolutionary history. So they're pretty fun. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a bit. You know, I, there's a lot of people I just didn't know about. And it was like, oh, that's where that name probably came from in this area. Got it. So, um, yeah, that's, you, you want to get into the ranking or the story? Yeah, uh, let's get into it. And uh, I noticed that you had me say roller 14.5 instead of roller 15. Uh, yeah. What's that about? So we are doing a guest spot. Um, So what I wanted to do with this was kind of showcase people who are important to the narrative, but aren't the rulers of Kiev. So they won't be ranked against our current rulers. They're going to be ranked against themselves based off of the things that they do for like the realm. Um, Alieg is, as you're going to find out, and we heard about him a lot last episode, he is kind of like the third person in power between like Sviatopolk II, Vladimir Monomach. And so he's like kind of like the third person who owns Chernigov, which is like the second biggest city in Rus. So I thought he was important and, and he has a very interesting story, which we've talked about in bits and pieces throughout the narrative. But now we're, we've condensed into one episode and it serves as a nice recap episode for you as well. So we don't have to go through, um, it's been a while since we last recorded, right? Uh, it has been. I don't remember anything that happened. Exactly. So this is like a nice recap episode to get back into it, but interspersed with some other different things at the same time. So it's there's going to be new information, but not we're not going to go into like as much detail as we would with the stuff that he did. Because other we've covered that before, but we're going to say, oh yeah, this happened, and then you might remember what happened. Stuff like that. Okay. Alrighty. So etymology. Uh, we've had an Aleg. Do you remember what Aleg means? No. Do you even need to ask that question? Holy. Aleg holy means what? Holy. Mackerel? Holy moly, I think. Right. Okay, uh, no, cool. it, it just means holy. So it's like Helgi. Yeah. Holy yeah. what? Holy. Mackerel? Well, we'll find out. But his name may be holy. He might be a holy person. Who knows? I mean, he's also a Kievan prince, a prince of Rus, so can he be that holy? So it's time to dig into his life. Aliag was born around 1052 AD, and his dad was Sviatoslav II, who we did send to the Kremlin, and we've already covered. So we don't have to go much into his dad's details. He is the second of five sons, and his mom was the first wife of Sviatoslav. Uh, her name is Kilikia, which is no longer important to anything, so you don't have to remember that. Um, <laughs> she's dead. It's a nice name, though. I do like it. Kilikia. From the time he's born, and for the next two decades, do you know how much we know about him? Probably not much. Absolutely nothing. Um, because the Chronicles are like, yeah, he's born, and then silent, until, until his daddy, Sviatoslav II, who now became the Grand Prince of Kiev after ousting his brother from the throne, uh, decided to give his sons some territory to kind of go over. 
Um, so, you know, the first son got Novgorod because that's the biggest city, the big, like, heir, that's the heir city to the, to the throne, usually. So if you're going to, like, you have, like, the Prince of Wales in England, the Prince of Novgorod is the one who's going to inherit next, usually. But Alieg, being the second son, did not get Novgorod. He got a area called Vladimir Volhinsk, or just Vladimir, and that was found, which is a city founded in honor of Vladimir the Great. And then now it's around 1072, and he controlled that territory up until his father's death in 1076. Um, but he still held on to it a bit after that. But we're going to get into that detail. Um, so around that point, once his dad died, his uncle Sievolod took the throne. Remember Sievolod with like the really cross-eyed picture and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's in charge now. The good for nothing dude. And the nice thing about it is he made a pact with Sietoslav saying, yes, your sons can keep their territory. All's good, and right? Everyone's happy. And then a messenger arrives to Sievolod. Do you want to give the messenger a name? Igor. Igor. Awesome. Igor. <laughs> They're always Igor. Um, so Igor arrives and says, I have a message for you, prince. And it's not good. Um, the Poles are coming. <laughs> and at the head of them is your elder brother, Izyaslav. So what would a grand prince do when threatened with an army? I think he would do the courageous thing and run away. <laughs> well, he did not do that. Uh, Sievolod actually gathered his forces. And because Vladimir Volhinsk is really close to Poland, Alieg joined his uncle in this fight. And then it came to be that, you know, the Polish army and the Kievan army came to, the, you know, came to battle. And, but they st- before they actually started fighting, they just stared at each other, you know, eyes lovingly looking mm-hmm. into each other before the fight started. And Izyaslav basically asked to talk to Sievolod. Mm-hmm. How do you think this conversation went? Um, I sort of imagine it like um, those exercises you do in class or like not class in group therapy where you just stare into each other's eyes for a minute, like very deeply. <laughs> yes. Well, when Izyaslav and Sievolod came together, they talked and then talked some more. And then they both came out laughing, you know, hugging each other. Things were great. But Sievolod was missing a crown. And Izislav had now had it on. So Izislav is now back to being the Grand Prince, which is the third time he was Prince, which is something we've covered already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that happened. And then because of that, Kiev went back to Izislav and Sievolod decided, you know what? I'm going to take Chernigov, which was my brother's land. You know, my brother Sviatoslav too. Things were resolved peacefully, which is kind of like Sievolod's normal thing to do is just, I'm going to go in and talk it out. No bloodshed, which isn't bad. No, it's not bad at all. It probably makes him a better brother than the vast majority of family members we have encountered so far. Yes. But if Sievolod is controlling Chernigov, who isn't getting it? Probably Oleg. Due to this deal that Izislav and Sievolod made, Oleg could not inherit his father's territory. And since Sievolod had it, Alieg was basically living in house arrest with his uncle in the city 
because he had gone back previously once his dad died to live in Chetnikov because, yeah, I'm going to inherit this. This is my territory. Why wouldn't I have this? Sievolod was like, nah, actually, it's a nice city. I'm going to keep it. And he just completely bypassed the rules of succession that Yaroslav the Wise set up for him, for everyone. Aliag was not too happy about this. What rules of succession? There's only one rule. Who has the bigger army wins. <laughs> well, Yaroslav did say, you know, people, Izyaslav's line will inherit Kiev, Sviatoslav's mm-hmm. line will inherit Chernigov, and Sivolod's line will inherit Periaslavl. Wasn't there an earlier rule that ruler that split up his territory among his sons? Yes. Yeah. Uh, that was Sviatoslav the first. <laughs> when are they going to learn their lesson? Because it was split between Sviatoslav the first sons, was between Vladimir and his two brothers. Yes. What, they just need to do it the way the Turks did it with the uh, Ottoman throne. Is Everybody knows you're just going to end up fighting over the throne. So you just give the most territory to the person you want to succeed you. Well, yes, but they didn't think that because this is like, they were just like, no, we have to give land to all our kids. This is why primogeniture is a thing in the future. <laughs> you don't want the yeah. civil war to happen. Sorry, primogeniture is a thing. They don't understand. You can't apply egalitarian principles to an inherently authoritarian system. It makes no sense. It just falls apart. Exactly. So this is where some other issues happen because Aliag was Sviatoslav's son. And who was Izyaslav deposed by? Uh, Izyaslav? Yes. Who, who deposed, deposed him? Um, from uh, his second, second no so Izyaslav was deposed from Kiev by one of his brothers which brother was that uh, Sviatoslav Sviatoslav which is Aliag's dad so because Sviatoslav is dead who do you think Izyaslav wants to punish uh, probably Aliag Aliag and what does Aliag have right now that his dad gave him Chernigov not Chernigov what? Another another city. Kiev. No, Isislav has Kiev. Um, Vladimir, what, Vladiminsk? Vladimir Volhinsk, yeah. Volhinsk. So, Isislav took Vladimir Volhinsk from Alieg and gave it to his one of his own sons. So, Alieg now has no territory. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, if someone doesn't have, if a prince doesn't have territory who had territory, what are you basically trying to cause? <laughs> I mean, are you even a prince if you don't have territory? It's never no. just prince. It's prince of something. Exactly. So he becomes an Izgoy or one of the debarred princes. Because now he doesn't have a territory. So he's just like mm-hmm. kind of marching, going around. He still lives in Chernigov with Uncle yeah. Siebolod, but he's under house arrest, has no land. So he's not getting anything. And when you own something and you get it taken away, you tend to want more land back. Yeah, so it's it's sort of like so it's like the distinction between vampires and daywalkers in Blade. Yes, you're not a true vampire. <laughs> exactly, one. he's not a true prince. So he starts writing letters, you know, and Igor sends it, you know, back and forth between the cousin, and he's sending a letter to his cousin Boris Vyacheslavich, and you know they're they're talking, and then one day Sievolod goes on a trip to visit his brother. Mm-hmm. And then Boris just happens to appear not even an hour after Sevilov leaves Chernigov with a nice little army. And then the gate just magically open and the army just walks right in and Boris sits on the throne of Chernigov. Hmm. 
And Boris is uh, whose son? Vyacheslav's son. Okay. He's dead. Long dead. So he's not related to Sviatoslav. Or, is, or sorry, Isyaslav. He's not related to Isyaslav. He is just one of the cousins from the many kids of Yaroslav. So he walks into Chernigov, takes the city over quite easily. Since the gates were opened and there is still a prince, another prince in the city, who do you think opened the gates for his cousin? Oleg, probably. It was Oleg. Oleg opened the city gates. And there we go. Because that's the easiest way to enter a fortified city is just walk right in. Uh, so he's trying to make allies at this point. He's trying he's, to make allies with Boris. He's trying to make allies with Boris because the Boris still has some men which he can use to attack. Because mm-hmm. all because you're an Isgoy, that doesn't mean you can't have a, like a small retinue. Like you still have men who are loyal to you. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to gather as many allies who can build up an army. But of course, this conquest of Chernigov did not last that long because Sievolod heard about the capture of his city because. Igor came back with a message said, Sir, 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 they took they took Chernigov, come back. And he quickly did a 180 and just marched back to Chernigov. Boris saw the writing on the wall, tucked his tail between his legs, and just ran out of the city without even trying to fight. And he went down all the way south to Timaturakon, which is that little like enclave on um, the Black Sea. Mm-hmm. But one of Aliek's brothers lives in Timaturkon, and his name is Roman. And Roman was like, yeah, Boris, you know, come into my city. It'll be nice. You, you have safety here. Because Timaturkon is kind of like the, the place where people tend to go because there's no, contigu- there's no contiguous le- connecting land. So you have to basically sail into the sea to get there. So it's like a nice like safe haven. Because Roman is a Svetoslavich, you can see that Aliyeg and Boris were probably allied with each other, and he was helping the Sviatoslavich cause. So, nice things are happening. This capture of Chernigov did ruin the relations between Aliyeg and Sievolod, because Sievolod was like, I trusted you. I thought I could leave the city to you for a, for a bit. And he was like, no, you're, you know, you're, you're, now you're stuck here. And, of course, Aliyeg was like, no, I need, this is my city, technically, so you need to get out. So they're getting more and more vocal and starting to argue a lot more because Uncle Sievolod already had another city. He had Periaslavl. So now he had like two big territories under his control. However, Sievolod would never give up Chernigov to his nephew willingly. Because why would you give up land? Aliyeg may have been chomping at the bit because losing Chernigov was also part of the punishment that Izyaslav had for the Sviatoslavici. And there was still a bit of territory that they had under their control. So as I mentioned, Timaturkan was held by Roman. Gleb controlled Novgorod. And then David, his younger brother, controlled Muram, which is like a border town that's not that big, but it's still like a nice little town. He's, they still had land. So he's the only one who, of the elder sons who didn't have any more land. And he had a younger brother, but that brother was in Saxony with his mom. So different mom. So they didn't really care about him too much for now. But then something happened to Gleb. He was outside hunting and then he died. Then there was a tragic hunting accident. <laughs> exactly. And no one knows what happened to him. And you know, you know what makes it even more sad for Gleb? It was completely accidental. No, he didn't have an heir. <laughs> So, because he didn't have an heir, 
Izyaslav was like, well, I guess Novgorod is mine now. And he took Novgorod for himself. How convenient. Yes. How convenient. But the death of Gleb made Alieg the eldest son of the Sviatoslavici. So now he was in charge of that clan. So the Sviatoslavici would answer to him. And two of his brothers still have territory, which is really nice. See, I'm having a hard time believing this means anything because he's still an Isigoy. So two of his brothers have territory. These are presumably his younger brothers. If they weren't helping him before, they aren't going to help him now. Well, yes, <laughs> but we'll get there. <laughs> um, so the death of Gleb and the loss of Novgorod proved to be a bit too much for Svetoslav because he was like, well, we're losing territory. The biggest, you know, the, th- the fourth biggest piece of land in this area is now gone from us. And then he condemned both of his uncles. He's like, you know, you guys are a-holes for not giving me my land. I want my land. All I want is my land. And then he wrote a bit about who he hated the most in this world. Can you guess who it was? He wrote about it? It just... It's assumed. In what? To a letter? In a letter? No, no. But can you guess who he hated more? I just, I was just flourishing it with writing. Uh, Isyaslav? No, he was fine with Isyaslav because Isyaslav was the grand prince. and He could do whatever the heck he wanted. That doesn't make any sense to me, but okay. Okay, so he hated Sievolod the most because Sievolod made a pact with his dad that said, yes, my sons will inherit my territory. But then he broke that and kept it for himself. And then, so that, because of Sievolod, he couldn't inherit Chernigov. And Isislav, because he was a grand prince, is like, okay, you know, it sucks that he that he's doing this, but I guess because he's a grand prince, he has a right to, because the whole territory technically belongs to him. We're just governing it. It's just whatever he had under his direct control, which means he would get those direct taxes. But yeah, he hated Uncle Sievolod the most. So... Alieg moved to make a plan. Because he was insulted by the lack of respect he was getting as the head of the Sviatoslavici from his uncles, he managed to disguise himself and he escaped from Chernigov and made his way down to Maturkan to meet with his brother Roman. And guess who else is there? Boris. Boris! So he banded with his brother and his cousin. He then went across the border, talked to a few people who like to use horses a lot. Hmm. You remember what their names are? Uh, um, they came up in the Viking film. I know they're like a Turco-Finnic people, right? Uh, the Cumans. He went to talk to the Cumans. Right, the Cumans. Yes, the Spice Brothers. The Spice people. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he went to talk to the Cumans, and um, he was like, actually, if you work for me and join my army, I'll let you take stuff from the other army. And yeah. Because he promised him, you know, loot. So it's like the Crusades. Yeah, so yeah. they joined them. You, just, yeah, you they, can just get rich looting a bunch of stuff. That's, exactly. that's the appeal. Yeah, so they joined his army, and now he had the force from Timurturicon, his own small retinue, Boris's revenue, and he had a whole bunch of nomadic horsemen behind him. So they decided to get together and fight the Yaroslavici. Why didn't... So, you know, when they're looting all of these, they're technically... Oleg is technically telling them to loot himself because he's going to be taking over these cities in this land after it. So he's going to be getting victory over a totally looted land. Well, he's going to have to pay them 
no matter what. Yeah, we'll pay them a fixed a flat rate. Well, usually you just let them take what they want because sometimes they don't want gold or anything. They will just take like supplies. It's um, the, they figure it out themselves. I don't. He, they, the, the chronicles didn't say what he promised them. They just say, "Yeah, we're allied. You're good to go." Okay. This massive group marched towards Chernigov, and Sievolod, of course, as the prince of Chernigov, came out and said, "You rebellious nephew, I'm going to take you out." So he left the the city, and on the Soj River, fought against his nephew's army, and uh, Sievolod's army. Proved to be... Smaller? No. Horrible. And they got completely smashed. Sivolod ran all the way back to Kiev to talk to his brother and get help, which we covered in Sivolod's episode. And uh, Alieg and Boris marched into Chernigov with applause from the people. They were excited because guess who was back in charge? Guess who's back? Back again. Boris is back. <laughs> No, but uh, because Alieg was the prince of Chernigov and the people of Chernigov saw him as the true inheritor of the territory, they were like super cheerful and they welcomed him into the city. So the true prince of Chernigov has returned. There are a few other people who weren't very happy. Can you guess who they were? Um, probably who were loyal to Sviatoslav. Yeah, uh, no, to Sievolod. Yeah, Sie- right, Sievolod. Sievolod. Yes, but... um. So yeah, so they weren't happy, but they were with Sievolod at this point. Who is writing this that wouldn't be happy? Because the the people in charge lost. Some 13th century monk, I don't know. Exactly, the chroniclers. The The chroniclers were super pissed off that Alieg had spilled Christian blood by bringing in pagans. And in the tale of Igor's campaign, the chroniclers call him Alieg Goreslavich, or... Alieg, the son of woe, which I think is a pretty cool epithet. So the chroniclers are okay with Christians fighting each other, but they're not okay with pagans um, fighting Christians. Well, not okay with a Christian hiring pagans to fight other Christians. It's not even a betrayal. It's because they're not fighting for the pagans. The pagans are fighting for you. You know what? The chroniclers are going to chronicle. They, they're going to be pissed off no matter what, because guess who's paying them? The Grand Princes. <laughs> So they called him the son of woe because he brought misfortune or woe to Christians in Rus by bringing in bloodthirsty pagans into the land. I don't think Russians have any room to call other people bloodthirsty. A bit of a side tangent, <laughs> if you, if, if I may. Mm-hmm. Um, the Crockers only call them this because he was the only one who was truly allied to the Cumans. So like he actually would look out for them and not just use them to like as cannon fodder. And But he would also continuously hire them to augment his forces consistently. He wasn't the first one to hire them, though, because his cousins and uncles would do so consistently, especially Vladimir Monomak, which is Sievolod's son. And to paraphrase his letters, which we do actually have... Oleg or Vladimir Monomak? Vladimir Monomaks. So we do have his letters, and to paraphrase him, he's uh, basically saying, yeah, I hired them all the time. I don't know why my cousin's getting flack for it. Hmm. So he was like, yeah, the Chronicles, the Chronicles are just being stupid. Like we hired them all the time. Everyone used them. It's not an issue, but it doesn't help because uh, Sviatopolk, who is, who's Iziaslav's son was the one to order the Chronicles written. So because he didn't really like Alieg, they would um, use that against him. 
But yeah, tangent over. Alega Maurice's capture of Chernigov turned into a declaration of war against the Yaroslavici, which caused both of Alega's uncles to gather their forces and march south to the captured city. And once they arrived at Chernigov, they found out Alega and Maurice were in another castle. Hmm. Or more so, Alega was busy putting his men in charge of all the surrounding towns so that he could collect the tax revenue and everything from them. Because what is the one thing an army needs other than supplies? Money. Exactly. There's uh, If I can interrupt, um, there's a really interesting lecture by uh, the anthropologist David Graeber where he talks about the origins of money. And he argues that as money as in coins, gold, using that as a representative representation of value instead of a, uh, a sort of arrangement where like, if you do something for me, I'm going to owe you something um, later on. And he says it started because you needed a way to pay mercenaries, basically. Exactly. So he needed a way to pay humans, needed a way to pay his, his men, his brother's men, his cousin's men. So you need money to run a place. And if he's collecting tribute and ruling, he needs an income. Mm-hmm. So Boris and Diego returned rather quickly once they heard that their uncles and cousins were there about to besiege the place. And they had a small discussion amongst themselves. Uh, Boris wanted to go ahead and use their army to fight against the other princes. He's like, yeah, even though we're small, we're mighty. We beat Sievolod. We can do this thing. Because he was a bit uh, bullheaded. Um, Alieg was like, actually, it makes more sense to retreat because they do have a bigger army. And we want to live to fight another day. And of course, the Cubans are elsewhere. So we kind of we got to come get them again and bolster our troops. So we can actually fight against them. Boris was way too bullheaded. And since he was seen as more of the warrior, the men followed him. So they went off and fought against the Yaroslavici. And they bravely lost. Yes. And can you guess who the first one dead was? Probably Boris. It was Boris. Arrow to the head. Maybe. So then the Yaroslavici took the city. We covered this already. And... I found some information that I didn't have earlier, which was really nice, about who killed Izyaslav, actually. Apparently, one of Alieg's men managed to get in behind enemy lines, and he struck Izyaslav down dead. Hmm. Alieg killed one of his uncles, basically, or had them killed. Of course, Alieg, seeing that he was losing his battle, having lost his main commander, fled from the battlefield and went off to Tumaturkan, where his brother Roman resided. Because Roman didn't come up, because he was too busy ruling a city, could not leave it undefended as there was a bunch of other nomadic tribes out there aside from the Cumans who would invade as at the same time. So with that, Sievolod becomes the Grand Prince of Kiev for the next two decades. And the Sievolodovici see a reverse in their fortunes. Uh, even well, even in, an even worse fortune thing, Moabar. You get what I mean. Things get worse. Things get worse. Things get worse. Because uh, Roman was out with some Cubans himself patrolling his territory to make sure that there weren't any other invaders. And then the Cubans come back with a nice heavy chest of gold to the camp. And they all turn around and look at him. And um, he looks around and he's like, uh-oh. And then one spear, two spears, three spears, he's dead. And then the Cubans just rode off and left the poor man just there. Dead. So Roman's dead. It's Maturacan is uh, open for the taking. Yeah, unprotected. It is unprotected. Do we know who paid off uh, the Cumans? 
Can you guess who it was? Yeah. Who? Isyaslav. Isyaslav's dead. All right. Uh, Sviatoslav. Sviatoslav's dead. Oh, yeah. third brother. Oleg would not kill his own brother. He, he was using his army. Yes, he would. No. Who's, who's the third person who just became Grand Prince? I don't know. I I can't remember these names. Okay. It was Sievolod. So the new Grand Prince Sievolod ordered his nephew to be killed because he paid off the Cumans. So that's another Svetoslavici dead. Um, and then Sievolod installed his own man named Radibor. That's a funny name, I think. While this was happening and Roman was out in the field, Alieg was walking around the city, you know, going through the markets, tasting some fruit, having fun. When all of a sudden, a bag gets wrapped around his head. He gets knocked out and he wakes up on a ship. Finally, you're awake. <laughs> exactly. So he figured out that this is led by a group of Khazars and they knocked him out and put him on the ship. And can you guess where the ship is going? It's down to Rus. That's one hint. Sorry, what did you say? So a group of Khazars essentially knocked out Alieg and After kidnapped that. him. Oh, so he's being sent into a city that is not within Rus. Which city do you think he's going to? Constantinople. Exactly. So he gets sent out to Constantinople. Can you rem- and can you guess who was behind this as well? What's Sievolod? So Sievolod basically orchestrated Roman and um, Roman's death. He orchestrated Roman's death. Yeah, he, he, he basically negotiated Roman's death and he negotiated Alieg's capture. So Alieg is sent off to Constantinople and he is exiled from the, from the territory. And this is when we tend to lose a bit of a track of his life <laughs> again. But we do have sparse tidbits because someone did meet him somewhere. He, he lived for about two years in Rhodes. So just kind of like nice island life on the Mediterranean. Honestly, it beats the Russian winters. So I don't think he minded too much. Minus not having a place to control. And during this time, he also took a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, where he met with a monk that re- where he mentioned to him, yeah, I've been exiled, I live in Rhodes, it's fine. And then at that point, he joins the Byzantine army, and he fights really well for the commander, and ingratiates himself to the commander, who ends up really liking him, and aids him in negotiations to get back home. So the, basically, they're helping him discuss how to get there and back, and then somehow... It seems things go well because Alia gets married off to Byzantine noblewoman named Theophania Musalonisa. Theophania Musalonisa. And um, with that, he's on a boat back to Timaturicon. That's four years of his exile. Goes beach vacation, holy pilgrimage, gets a fight, gets married. Nice time. Overall, not the worst exile. Because she's a noblewoman, he probably had like nice things to go with that. And Theophania's family was also like pretty deep involved with like the church so like they had a lot of money from that as well so they had a nice he had a nice dowry yeah so he's on the boat back back home not too bad however in the meantime during these four years tumor was facing some issues itself radibor who was sievlod's man that was placed in charge of the city mm-hmm. gets ousted by some other izgoy whose names are davidi gordievich and volodar Grosislavich. David Igorievich, if you recall, was the guy who blinded Vasilko. And he's also the son of Algeg's favorite uncle. David and Volodar take over the city of, Cher- of Timaturikon and rule it over. Until Algeg arrives about three years later. Algeg has a small Byzantine force with him. And he takes over the area. Captures his cousins. 
the Khazars that captured him, and the Cubans that killed his brother. So he's just angry. And um, he decides to execute the Khazars and the Cubans. Mm-hmm. He's like, you sh- he's like, you do not kidnap me, and you do not kill my brother, death to you. And then with David and Volodar, he just lets them go. You know, they're Christians, you have to treat them well. So now he is in charge of Tumurtarakan. So he has a city now. With this, he's basically helping Rus and the Byzantine Empire. So he's kind of assisting with like frontier battles and all that, making keeping the peace. And he names himself the Archon of Khazaria. <laughs> he now has a Byzantine title as well as being the Prince of Tumaturakon for the Rus. And then he'd spend the next decade there, ruling peacefully, helping the Byzantines with whatever they needed. And it seems that this may have been part of the terms of his return. You know, he would come back, he gets a piece of territory, and, you know, he doesn't cause a fight with Sievolod, and nothing happens. As long as he doesn't take action against his uncle, things were going to be great. They were reconciled. They didn't hate each other that much anymore. All is good in the neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. Well, when we have 10 years of nothing happening, and Aliego was just recently married, what do you think he spent his time doing when not ruling? Having children. And he has quite a few children. His eldest son is named Sevalod after his uncle. Basically, it's a way to show a sign of respect for the Grand Prince. Kind of say, oh yeah, you know, I'm fine with you, so I'm going to name my son after you. And typically, you would name your first son after your dad. Mm -hmm. This is like, okay, I need to show that I am fine with him, so he gets my uncle's name. Then he names his second son, Igor, after his favorite uncle and David's dad. And then he names his third son, Sviatoslav, after his own dad. And then he has one more son, and he's named Gleb after the saint. And then, of course, he had a daughter named Maria, which we don't hear about anymore after that. Darn chroniclers. Write about all, all the people, please. So, ten years pass by, and then Sievolo dies in 1093. And around this time, uh, the Byzantines have a new leader taking control, firming up the borders by the name of Alexios Komnenos. And basically, he kind of has like a small golden age for the Byzantines. And then he comes into Tumaturakon and, well, not him personally, but his people come into Tumaturakon and basically tell Oleg to get the hell out. This is our territory now. So Oleg is kicked out of Tumaturakon and he has no territory again. <laughs> so. Predictable. So what do you think happens to Oleg now? What do you think he's going to do? Probably go get an army. Yes, and what city do you think he's going to want? Uh, he's probably going to want to take Chernigov back. You are right once more. So he goes back to get Chernigov. And at this time, Sievolod had given his nephew a final FU before his death, and instead of giving Chernigov over to Oleg, he gives it to his own son, Vladimir Monomach. Uh-oh. <laughs> but since he doesn't have to mature anymore, he needs a base. So where would he go? Because two of his brothers were dead. Gleb is dead, so Novgorod's out of the picture. Roman was killed 10 years ago, and he had Tumaturakon, and Oleg was just kicked out of Tumaturakon, so that's out of the picture. So there's one more brother, and his name is David. And David got upgraded to living in Smolensk. However, David had a small issue to him. Can you guess what it is? Uh, he was a leper. No, actually, he was a pacifist. <laughs> was he a monk? No. <laughs> well, not a pacifist so much, because he would still go out and fight. He was just more peace-loving and would be very agreeable to people. So he would just mm-hmm. go with like the root of less conflict most of the time. 
And like, he didn't really like going to war or causing issues on his own. So Alieg went to his brother David and was like, hey, bro, I'm the head of the family. I, I want your army. And can you guess what David said? No. No, David's like, yeah, sure. Do what you want. I, I think Alieg had pretty good riz with his brothers because like they would just say, yeah, sure. Here's my army. Why not? But there was another issue that popped up because Sievolo died. There was a, a succession crisis. And Monomak was Sievolod's eldest son. So technically, he was seen as the rightful ruler of Kiev, and the Kievans wanted him on the throne. But he decided to give the throne to his cousin, Sviatopolk II, who we raided last episode. Because Monomak knew if he took the throne, Alieg and Sviatopolk could rise up against him, and Alieg could use this to take Chernigov. So he was like, actually, you know, Sviatopolk, the throne is yours. I'm going to stay in Chernigov. No civil war. That crisis is averted. Sviatopolk's in charge. Monomak has Chernigov. Alieg has no territory. But then the issue came up of what to do with Novgorod, because that was too much territory for one person to own. And then Monomak was kind of arguing with Sviatopolk about, you know, my son, Mrsislav, should have Novgorod. And Sviatopolk was like, no, my son should have Novgorod. And they continued back and forth with arguing. And if they kept fighting, a civil war would happen. And if they couldn't find someone to give it to. So who is a person who would not cause problems for anyone to, to take the throne? Alieg. Not Alieg, who is, who is peace-loving and agreeable. That... David. So David Svetoslavich got Novgorod, because he would not cause issues for anyone. But this had the added benefit of, now David had Novgorod and Smolensk, and Monomak and Svetopolk wouldn't fight about anything happening. But while this was good for David, because he was getting more and more territory, Alieg was not happy because he had no territory still. But then a small thought entered his mind. You know, Uncle Sievolod is dead. So my oath to keeping peace is no longer applicable. But I won't go to war right now. I need, I need to see my chance because Sviatopolk and Mondomak are quite the formidable people. They're pretty powerful. That is until our friendly neighborhood Cumans came into town and started raiding the territory. And Sviatopolk decided to gather an army and with Monomach and go out and attack the Cumans. Um, can you guess what, what happened to the Rus army? Uh, they lose. They got smashed by the Cumans. So the Cumans, you know, defeat the Rus army. The, the Kievans and the Chernigov, well, Sviatopolk's army and Monomach's army, whatever is left of them, go back to the respective cities to replenish their forces and Alieg is like, you know what? This is a great time for me to go in and take Chernigov. So guess what he does? He hires some... Cumans. He hires some Cumans. And they go off and besiege Chernigov. Monomach sensed that he had no way out. And after a few days, gave the city over to Alieg. Monomach went to Periaslavl and Alieg entered the city. This time, no applause, no fanfare. They were like, it's been, 20, it's been like 10 years. We don't want you here anymore. This enraged Alieg, and he let the Cumans go around and raid everything and burn stuff down. The chroniclers mentioned that their monasteries were plundered for gold and burnt down, but Alieg was now Prince of Chernigov, and this time it was official. So it's kind of like that video of Mao looking around to make sure that everyone is applauding. Yes. He's like, he walks in and is like, this is different from 20 years ago. You aren't clapping loud enough. He's like, please clap. <laughs> but surprisingly, Motomak did not retaliate against Alieg, which is weird. You'd think he'd go back and say, no, this is my land. Let's fight. But Motomak was like, actually, let me promote peace. 
Aliyev just wanted Chernigov. Well, I don't know how you just let him have it. I have Periaslavl. It's not an issue. So Aliyev was now able to keep his territory. And for the next two years, things were great. Until Sviatopolk decided his army was big enough and uh, he could fight against the Cumans <laughs> again. Sviatopolk sends Igor to Monomak saying, Hey, I'm about to fight the Cumans. They beat, they kicked their asses last time. You want to join? And Monomak is like, yeah, sure. And then he sends Igor over to Alieg. He's like, hey, Prince of Chernigov, want to join us against the Cumans? Now, who are Alieg's main allies? Uh, main allies? I mean, I would say the Cumans, but only insofar as you can pay them. Yes, so they are his main allies. And Alieg responded back and said, no, thank you. Not doing it. I have my territory. I don't need to fight anyone. But, you know, if you really want me to, I can go in and attack the ones that aren't my allies. But I'm not joining you. He was a bit wary about probably being killed by his cousins for taking over Chernigov. So he didn't want to join them. And of course, he didn't want to attack his allies by accident. Because then now he would lose most of his forces. How do you think Sviatopolk and Monomak would respond to this? Being told, I'm not going to fight for you? Yeah. Probably not well. No. Especially when they find out that Alieg had the son of a Cuban chief. This kid's name is Itlar. Staying in his court. So their enemies son was with Alieg. And they send Igor down to Alieg and say, well, the princes say that you can either kill Itlar or give him over to the Grand Prince because he's an enemy of Rus and any other action would be considered treason. See, I can't take things like words like treason seriously when all these people do is fight each other. Who are you being treasonous against? The Rus? The Rus are fighting the Cubans. You can't keep a Cuban in your court. Well, there is no united Rus. Well, technically they're united under the Grand Prince. And the Grand Prince just lets them fight all the time. Yeah, basically. He can't control them. <laughs> it's kind of like the king. You know, the Dukes would still do whatever the heck they want, but they listen to the king sometimes. What do you think Alieg said? Uh, no. Exactly. So, another small tangent. This is this whole ordeal with Alieg not wanting to attack is because Alieg is not a fan of taking part in aggressive wars. He sees no point in them. He's like, if they attack our land, I'm fine with retaliating. That is fine. Or if I need to complete a goal, like taking that city, I'm fine. But going in and just fighting for no reason, that's stupid. <laughs> Especially when you're the ones who killed the messengers. Because it is at this point that I can remind that Sviatopolk had a Cuban messenger sent to him to kind of like negotiate peace. And Sviatopolk just had them killed because he was angry at losing to them two years ago. So Alieg was like, you caused this mess. Why do I have to help you resolve it? Like, you could have done this diplomatically and peacefully. So, um, yeah. After that, Monomak invited Itlar to join him in court for dinner. He's like, actually, you know, I'm going to treat you well. Things are going to be fine. And then um, as Itlar is walking over to Periaslavl, an arrow goes into his back. And another. And another. And he falls down dead. So Monomak managed to find Itlar and kill him which may have enraged Alieg a bit, because he's like, see, if you're going to be, like, assholes like this, then what's the point of me coming to join you when I was he was under my protection? And you invited him to come over peacefully. So his paranoia was gone to the roof because he's been dealt with a horrible hand throughout all his life. So yeah, tangent over. Because of this transgression against the Grand Prince and Monomak, David was removed from his position in Novgorod, 
and the title went to Monomach's son, Mstislav. But it's also rumors that even mentioned in the Chronicles that the Novgorodians didn't like David because he was too peaceful. Hmm. Wow, that's kind of uh, that's a funny assessment of David. I don't know where they got that from. He's, he's like, oh yeah, he's like he did. He never took us out to war. Like, what the heck? But after this war happened, things remained a bit quiet until Svetlopolk and Monomach sent a letter to Oleg. So, uh, Brendan, would you like to read this letter? Yeah. Come to Kiev, and in the presence of bishops, abbots, our fathers' counselors, and the townspeople, form an agreement with us concerning the land of Rus, so that we can defend it against pagans. And what do you think Oleg said to the invitation? Uh, I think he took like a, a comically oversized quill pen and he went dip, dip, dip in a comically oversized inkwell. And on a comically oversized bit of parchment, he wrote, no. You are right. <laughs> Oleg said no. Because his thought was, I'm a prince. Why should I be judged by this common rabble? Also, the visceral reaction may have come out because uh, going to Kiev is a bit of a death wish. Like... It's basically asking to be, like, captured and killed. So, you said no. Um, so, how do you think Svetlopolk and Monomach would respond to this offense? They were angry. Angry? And what do angry princes tend to do? They tend to attack. Yes, they do. They march against Elieg, and Igor came to Elieg and informed him that, hey, your cousins are coming. And he's like, okay. And he went to a more fortified location in a town called Starodub. This town was besieged, and... The siege lasted 33 days. How biblical. But Aliyek surrendered because they were exhausted and running low on supplies. And to make it even worse, you, you know they said they wanted to defend it against pagans? With it, did they hire Cumans? No, they did not hire Cumans. But the, the Cumans came and raided anyways. Hmm. Motomak and Sviatopolk ignored them because they were too busy trying to besiege Aliyek. Which just kind of proved like Aliyek's point. It's like, hey... Why are you attacking? You know, if you wanted us to be united, you didn't have to attack me. But Alieg just didn't like starting things without a good cause. And, you know, killing a messenger to him wasn't a good cause at all. So they attacked him for not wanting to join. And the Cubans attacked Periaslavl and Kiev and they raided the territories around the area. You know, Sjantopok and Molomak could, you know, could argue, hey, you know, they're raiding us because we weren't united against them. But they could argue, you know, maybe because they're my allies and they're trying to take you away from my territory. Other way, Cherdingov was removed from Alieg after two years. So he no longer holds the territory. This poor guy can't hold on to his city. <laughs> but then, of course, the, um, his cousins were like, all right, come back to Kiev and face trial. And can you guess what he said? I think he got out a comically loud typewriter. You know, like... When you're in class and like everyone is taking notes on a notebook like a normal person, but there's one person in the back who's taking notes on their MacBook and they're typing so loud. I think he typed out a comically loud letter that said, how about I don't? You're right. <laughs> He's like, I love this guy so much, honestly. So he refused because he was like, I did nothing wrong. And this is a death sentence. So... The princes are like, all right, if you really want to make sure that we don't kill you, bring your younger brother and he'll ensure you're safe. At that point, he was like, okay, fine. And once there, the princes are like, all right, David, you're in charge of Chernikov. And Aliyev had no territory. Hmm. So they give, his, they give his brother the territory. So he was a bit pissed. So what's the prince to do with no land? Hire humans and take, a land, take some land. You know what? You're right. 
He did. But he also grabbed men from David's armies and went into Monomakh's territories, where he came into contact with Izyaslav Vladimirovich, who is Monomakh's son, who was in charge of Muram, which was formerly part of Chernigov. And then on the battlefield, Aliyev sent a message to Izyaslav. Would you like to read this message? Yes. Go to Rostov, your father's district, because Muram is my father's district. I wish to occupy it so I can negotiate a settlement with your father, for he has driven me from my father's town. Chernigov, do you wish to deny me my very livelihood? And can you guess what this Izyaslav says? Uh, yes. Actually, yeah, he ignored the message, actually. Because <laughs> in his thought, he was like, I have the bigger army. I'm pretty confident in winning this battle. But Oleg, of course, believed he had the side of justice, legal claim, and God on his side. And then they fought. If God was on his side, God would have provided him with a bigger army. Well, God provided something because Oleg was the better commander and knew how to use his forces and he won the battle. So, And he seized Muram to control. But poor Izyaslav died in the battle. Moromak won't be too happy about losing his son. However, unlike previous times, Alieg did not stop with just the one city in his mind. He went north into Monomak's territory and kept taking more and more cities to grow his army. He took Suzdal, he took Rostov, and he took Bela And then this caught the attention of Prince Mstislav of Novgorod, Moromak's eldest son and heir, and Alieg's godson. Now, at this point, we're, we're going to cover this next episode, but... I can mention it now. Uh, Mstislav is kind of doing the same thing that Monomak did for his dad, where he would be the one sent to do all the stuff. So Mstislav sent Alieg a very nice message. I'm going to have you read that too. Return to Muram. Do not sit in another prince's district. I will send my Drujina to my father and ask him to be reconciled with you. As for my brother, do not hold yourself responsible for his death. In war, emperors as well as ordinary soldiers die. Metal. What is a, what is a Drujina? A Drujina is like a Russian retinue. It's just it's kind of like, it's just what they're named as, so that people tend to use that as the the main thing. They don't translate it. They don't just translate it, no. Drujina. Drujina, yeah. Well, Aliag at this time could not handle any more of the Monomaki's promises. He didn't want to trust his family anymore. So he marched northwards to retake Novgorod, which, you know, was, which was controlled by his brother Gleb at one point. And with him, he brought his little brother from Saxony, Yaroslav. So Alieg gave Yaroslav a nice job to guard the Medveditsa River, which protected the route from Rostov to Novgorod, and Alieg took camp in Rostov to prepare the for battle. Mstislav noticed that Alieg was gearing up to fight, so he decided to attack Alieg where it would hurt the most. What do you think he went after? Chernigov? No. Um, he went after Alieg's money and collected Alieg's tax collectors and imprisoned them so um he was no longer getting income and yaroslav you know reported to alieg that the money issues were going to be a serious thing and then uh oh yeah um cousin mrs army's on the way from rostov or to rostov well alieg did the very brave thing and retreated to suzdal because uh mrs was actually known to be a very good commander and he did not want to fight but this didn't stop Mstislav, so he kept pursuing Alieg, and uh, Alieg went from Suzdal and had two options. He could either run away from the city or stand his ground and fight. What do you think he did? I think he ran away. He ran away, and then he burnt down Suzdal behind him. And then he uh, went back to Muram, just, just, in order to, uh, just in order to avoid a conflict with Mstislav altogether. 
Um, with Olier now being out of the Monomax territory, Mrs. proposed peace to his godfather, stating... You want to read this one too? I address you as your junior. Negotiate a settlement with my father and set free the members of his Drugina, whom you have taken captive. Then I will do as you instruct me. So Mestislav just, you know, wanted to be peaceful. He's like, no, keep keep Maram, because that is technically part of Chernigov. That's fine. But make peace. And Oleg agreed to make peace, and then um, twisted his fingers behind his back. So Mestislav, believing his, his godfather, dispersed his troops and went home. Oleg did not disperse his own troops, and then went to the Klyazma River, and fortified a new position there to begin his conquest of more territory, hoping to catch Mrs. Slav unawares and put himself in a better position militarily. However, Mrs. Slav was made of a different kind of metal and gathered his own forces quickly and marched towards Suzdal, camping there. The two armies faced each other for four days, not moving an inch. But this worked to Mrs. Slav's favor because his brother, Yakislav, brought human reinforcements with him because he took Oleg's human allies. He, paid, he gave them more money, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, and then the two forces clashed in the Kolokcha River. Um, well, technically four armies because you had Vyakislav, Mrsislav, Oleg, and Yaroslav. So basically, Oleg and Mrsislav's forces fought and Vyakislav's and Yaroslav's forces fought. This battle was very long and arduous. And then Mstislav ordered for Motomax banners to be raised. Oleg took a look around. He saw this and he's like, oh shit. And he retreated from the battlefield. Motomax was not actually coming. This is a strategic ploy by Mstislav. Hmm. So with this retreat, Oleg placed Yaroslav in charge of Muram's defenses and he went to Ryazan. Mstislav came to Muram and basically took the city in like no time at all. He made peace with Yaroslav saying, all right, cousin. I have no beef with you. I have beef with your brother. And then he freed the men that Oleg had captured from his dad's Drujina. Uh, with Muram under Mstislav's control, the Prince of Novgorod continued on to Ryazan and then found that Oleg had gone to another castle. So he freed that city from Oleg's control and then went to the last place where Oleg could have gone. He went to his brother's David in Smolensk. Mstislav had enough with of his godfather's fleeing and sent Igor with a message to Oleg. Flee no more, but send a petition to your brother, his cousin Sviatopolka and Monomach, not to deprive you of the land of Rus. I will also write to my father on your behalf. And this time, Oleg knew he was cornered and finally agreed to listen to his godson. This defeat would mark the, like, the basically the peak of Oleg's career, and it's only a downward slope from there, because he got beaten by someone and uh, Mstislav would start reaching new heights, and we will see that eventually. All of this would cause the princes of Rus to finally agree to meet with each other at Lubech, where they would form a treaty to stop all of this warfare between them. And basically, it's because of Oleg's war that this became a thing, because they wanted to have a place where they could air their grievances and actually discuss issues diplomatically, instead of just going onto the battlefield and breaking the land apart at the seams, and inviting more and more Cubans to come invade when things were going bad. However, to placate Oleg and make sure that he actually came and joined, the venue was changed from Kiev to Lubech because it would be a more neutral ground, because it's, it's a small provincial town, so there wasn't enough space for a big army. And it was where their common ancestor, Vladimir the Great, was born. So, and because if it was, if it was held in Kiev, 
Seattle Polk would have way too much power there and it wouldn't be fair to anyone, uh, especially because the concerns were against him. The princes could only bring a small retinue, so no one would have a military advantage against each other. And then also all of those bishops, abbots, and townsmen that Alieg would not want to have in the area, they weren't allowed to come because this is a place for princes to air their grievances. And they didn't need any serfs to join them, you know? Basically, the main discussion of the Lubitsch Accords was the ease in which the Monomachy and Izyaslavici were able to just go into a prince's territory and say, hey, this land is mine now. You don't have it anymore. And it debarred many of them from being able to inherit something. So to make up for this, the Izgoy that were like there were given territories around Rus based upon the partition of land by Yaroslav the Wise to their forebears. But things did not go well for Eljeg in this regard because this is also part of his trial. And um, he was politically demoted. So he would no longer be the, you know, one part of the, the top three princes. His brother, David, would be given that position now. So Kiev, Chernigov, and Periaslavl being the three main territories. So David is the third triumvir of the triumvirate. Because Alieg was the head of the Sviatoslavici, he could basically order David around no matter what. And then despite this political demotion, Alieg would never be considered inferior to David. And the cousins, such as like Seattlepolk and Monomak, would either refer to them as David and Alieg, just David or just Alieg, because um, they did something for Alieg. They made him co-ruler with his brother of Chernigov, because they thought, you know, if we just give him Chernigov, he might just stay in line. You know, who thought about that, right? And then if they went on campaign, Chernigov could still join, because they could just have David join in Chernigov's stead and not need Alieg to be there. So... Quick reminder, why do you think the why do you think Seattlepok and Monomak would not want to piss off Alieg during this whole incident? Uh, I don't know why. Because the Cubans were still allied with him. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he still had other Cuban allies. They're not a contiguous tribe, they're like a multiple smaller tribes. Mm-hmm. Um so he had a few tribes that he worked with. And if they pissed off Alieg, he could just basically have them come and attack them all when they didn't need it, which would defeat the purpose of the Lubitsch Accords, because this is meant to stop them from internecine warfare between them. Also, this did guarantee that the Seattle would be the ones to officially inherit Chernigov from now on, and that right would not be infringed. Can you guess what Alieg did with the Accords? Ignored them. Actually, he followed them to a T, because the nice thing was, it contained a clause that the princes could not attack each other without a good reason, and that they had to talk to each other before they went to fight, so they can try to see if they could have a diplomatic resolution. Which was great, because Alieg was more so a defensive fighter and goal-oriented, which the Lubitsch Accords embodied both of these different aspects of him. Because, like, he would come to the defense of a prince who's being attacked, and then they would work together to fight against something. So it worked out. But can you remember who it was who broke these accords first? Can I remember? No, I can't remember. So it was Sviatopolk II, the Grand Prince of Kiev. He is the first one to break it because he and his cousin... David Gorievich had Vasilko blinded, which is one of the princes that was there. Um, and David is the guy who took over to Maturikon all those years ago. So, but we went to we went into all the detail about Vasilko last episode. And then when David and Alieg were informed of this by Igor, who came to Chernigov, the two brothers exclaimed, "Such a crime has never been committed in our dynasty." Yeah, it has. Not a blinding, murder. Yes, you know, murder is fine if they get killed in battle. That's okay too. But a blinding? Never could you ever. They're still alive. How, why would you ever do that? 
with this breaking the accords, Monomac asked Cherdigov to fight to join him in the fight. Um, and then David and Alieg said, uh, okay. Yeah, they said yes. And this is the first time since 1077 that they joined in a war with someone else and not, and not said no. And the last time that Alieg joined like some, another prince in fighting, like willingly was when Sievolod attacked Izyaslav back in the 1070s when he was, when Chernigov was basically stolen away from him. So he has not trusted anyone since then, minus his brothers. However, before the fighting started, Monomak sent Igor to the Grand Prince so he could explain himself and say, you know, why did you blind Vasilko? And then Siatopok gave a rather weak explanation, basically saying, oh, you know, Vasilko is going to do this and he's going to do that, but it was actually David's fault, not mine. And then Igor came back and then told Monomak that, yeah, Siatopok's full of, you know, he's not truthful or regretful. So with that, the cities of Pereslavo and Chernigov went to war against Kiev. And we covered much of this in Shatapok's episode, but we can assume that Monomak and Chernigov fought together pretty willingly. And then with all the back and forth, it ultimately led to the trial of David Igorievich at the town of Uvietici to make a final peace. And then in this instance, Monomak, David, and Alieg were the judges of David Igorievich. And they asked him, what is your complaint against the other princess? And then Navidi Gorevich was confused because he thought he was on trial, which he was, of course. And then David, Alieg, and Monomak were like, yeah, actually, you are on trial. And then Navidi Gorevich was stripped of his lands, and his immediate family could no longer inherit territory because he was being such a jerk. Pretty much it. But uh, Siatopok II felt bad for his cousin, the one he's been working with for so long, and gave him a small provincial town to rule over. And then he and Monomak each paid David Gordievich 200 gold. And then David and Alieg paid him 100 each. So even like the money in Chernigov was like shared between the two brothers. And then the record goes quiet. After this whole thing, Alieg doesn't show up that much. He's just very peaceful. He Like in 1101, he, Alieg, along with David and Yaroslav, his two brothers, joined their cousins to make a diplomatic peace with the Cumans. Because they were using his connection to the Cumans to make things happen nicely. And then many of the younger princes were married to the Cuman princesses, uh, which allowed, you know, one of Alieg's sons, Sietoslav, to marry a Cuman princess. And then Alieg married one as well, but we really don't know her name. Uh, then like two years later, uh, Sietopok and Monomak ordered Chernigov to aid them in an attack against the Cumans because the treaty expired. Uh, David joined the fight. But um, Alieg, can you guess what Alieg did? Uh, he broke the treaty and didn't... <laughs> the treaty's long broken by this point. Yeah. Yeah, so Alieg said no because he had a stomach bug. He couldn't make it. His stomach hurt too much. <laughs> so he couldn't join. You know, Alieg probably saw this as a breach of the peace treaty with the Cumans. He's like, no, we're still peaceful. They haven't attacked us. Why are we attacking? We don't need to attack. But he wasn't punished for this because guess who went to fight with them? The Cumans? No, 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 no. Which brother? Oh, wait, sorry. Um, which brother? Uh, I don't know. David. Peaceful David. Peaceful David went to join them because he was like, yeah, I'll join. You know, you asked nicely enough. And with that, because David was also the prince of Chernigov, it was like, yeah, Chernigov's fighting with us. That's okay. And then this war led to the death of 20 Cuban chiefs. So quite a few people died in that one. And then another four years... Um, you get another big Cuban chief. His name is Khan Bonyak. So he's a Khan. And he started raiding around the Rus territory. 
And then the princess went to fight. And then can you guess who actually joined them this time? Uh, Oleg? Yes. And why do you think Oleg decided to join this time? Because he didn't stand as much of a chance of much of a chance of losing. Well, he joined them because they because Khan Bonyak was actually raiding the Rus territory. So this is a war of defense. So he was defending the Rus. So he was like, yeah, this this war is fine. All is good. And then um so the Cubans were caught by surprise by the by the Rus, and then they were basically killed and fled from the territory and their camp was captured. So all the stuff that they stole, the Rus got right back. Then in eleven eleven, even more Cubans arrived and Alieg sent his sons, Sievolod and Sietoslav to go get some fighting done. He's getting he's getting a bit too old now and this appeased his, you know, Sviatopolk and Monomak because he sent his sons in his stead, which is totally fine. And they, I think they probably knew that Oleg's health wasn't the best anymore. And it helped that Sviatoslav was married to a Cuban princess, so he could use that to leverage his negotiations because he had in-laws over there. And then uh, we reached a year we left off with Sviatopolk, 1113. Sviatopolk II, the Grand Prince of Kiev, passed away. And then Modomak realized that this was finally his time to take the throne. He called Alieg to him to help him fight against the Cubans. And can you guess what Alieg said? No. Alieg said yes. And it was around this time that Alieg pledged his loyalty to Modomak and then forfeited his and his family's claims to the Grand Prince of Kiev. Why? You know, I think he was just old and just wanted Chernigov at this point. He's like, as long as my family gets Chernigov, I don't care. Vladimir Modomak basically solidified his line of inheritance. Um, because the Isiaslavici would no longer inherit, and the Sietoslavici would also not inherit. And plus, if he said no, that would have been another war that he wanted to avoid. Like, Oleg was was like in his 60s at this point. He was too old for this. Didn't want to do it anymore. So basically, the Monomachi are triumphant, and they get to rule over the Kievan throne from now on. And then, on August 1st, 1115, Oleg passed from this world to the next after a bout of sickness, Probably from his stomach. I'd imagine so. And then um, he was buried next to his father in Chernigov. And that is the life of Alieg. What did you think of him? Definitely a more interesting life than uh, a lot of the princes that we've covered. Now you see why I wanted to cover him, right? Yeah. So um, are you ready to rate them? Special operations. How well did they do in battle, lead in battle, or have others lead in battle for them? I think he kind of did well, honestly. He has a talent for getting the Cubans to fight for him. I think so, too. Um, like, I, when I was going through him, I was like, okay, he loses a lot, but he also has, like, two or three princes ganging up against him, too. Mm-hmm. So it's like, he, he's coming from, like, a much smaller army. And, like, he was able to take a bunch of territory. But then, as I mentioned, he, they would gang up on him and he would lose it. Yeah, and he also came back from an exile. So he's good enough at convincing people to fight for him. Yeah, and like he fought for the Byzantines, so they probably thought he was a good commander or like at least a good fighter. And then, you know, he's able to get his brothers to lend them his, their armies consistently. And like, sure, you know, he lost the war of basically the big war where like with Mstislav was the it's called the Chernigov War of Succession, and he lost that, but he still got to control part of Chernigov with his brother. It's like he still got his goal was I want my city back. So how many points do you want to give him? That's a good question. I feel like maybe a little more than a middle of the road. So six. 
Yeah, I was thinking about giving him like a seven, but like the fact that he was able to be so fighty and still like win, and even if he didn't like win the war, well, even though he didn't win the battles, he still won the war. He got the territory he wanted, and so like it was good. Yeah, so that's a thirteen for special operations. Ospiech success. How successful were they in running their nation? What cultural significance did they leave behind? Um, he didn't run his nation. He wasn't a grand prince of Kiev. No, but he did run Chernigov, or at least part of it. He ran Chernigov, yeah. Well, he ran a lot of different cities at different points in time is the, is the thing. Yeah, so he, he was all over the place. <laughs> but I do have some things that I, that I didn't mention in the narrative because they were just kind of like boring. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, he, built a, he built a few churches near the end of his life when Smono Mach finally gave him permission to do so. And then there's like a little funny anecdote where they were moving the relics of Boris and Gleb to, um, to the new church he built. And then, um, basically, uh, Bonomach tried to, like, one-up the the things that Alieg was doing in the church. And he couldn't move the the coffin to open, but Alieg could get it open. And it basically, it was saying, like, oh, Alieg, you know, because him and his family basically helped build this church, he's blessed for it. So, Bonomach uh, was a bit embarrassed by that, and Alieg was able to kind of get some, like, glory. Um, so he built a few churches, which are some of which are still standing. Mm-hmm. And then his loss in the Chernigov War of Succession basically allowed for the Lubitsch Accords to happen because that was basically what sealed the deal. That was like basically that was the treaty that ended the war. He didn't write the treaty though. He didn't write the treaty, but losing that war basically let him have this thing happen. And then it gave the Lesser Princess and the Isgoy a platform to air their grievances and had a way to kind of stop all this like interwarfare between each other to a to a point. Yeah. So. What I admire about him is his scrappiness, I guess. He was an Isagoy, he was exiled, but he still managed to never, he never really gave up until he fit, literally physically couldn't. Yeah, and then I think this is a big success. His sons are the ones, his like his line, the Ogovici, are the ones who are going to inherit Chernigov from now on. So he did end up, they ended up having Chernigov. For the yes, rest. he ended up having Chernigov for the rest of their dynasty. Okay. I think securing one city for somebody who was an Isigoy and an exile uh, is pretty impressive. I don't know if that's, relatively speaking, that's impressive. Um, but I don't know if that translates to success necessarily. I'll give him points for the churches and I'll give him points for establishing his dynasty's rule of Chernigov. But I'm not going to give him points for um, the treaty. Well, it. The fact that it kept fighting forced the hand, forced the treaty to happen. Yeah, and but they also kept taking his land away because he didn't want to join them in fighting. He wanted to be peaceful. Mm-hmm. So basically, the Grand Princes were just doing what they wanted. And then him lose, him doing this, but then losing this war made it so, okay, maybe we should relook at how we're doing things and give them a place, a thing to do. And the treaty worked. Because like, even though they were still fighting against each other, the princes ganged up on the on the offender. So I'd say in terms of like success, in terms of being a consequential um, ruler, he was very consequential. Yeah, and like he's seen as like the third big powerhouse of the of the ten nineties. Mm-hmm. Even though like he wasn't the grand prince, he was like he was basically one of the most important people of the era without who wasn't a grand prince. But he should he could have well have been. 
Um, yeah, I'm feeling like an eight for him. Okay. Um, yeah, I was feeling about the same for an eight. Like, a Vladimir the Great would be a ten, so I'm giving him an eight. Well, we're not comparing him to the other princes. He's he's not a grand prince. This is the guest list. Oh, I see. Yeah, so that is a 16 for Uspiech. Compromat. Blackmail. What things did they do behind closed doors, or outwardly, that would make others dislike them? I mean, his epithet, the son of woe. <laughs> yeah, but that's not really... that. That's one person who doesn't like him. Yeah, basically he, he hired the Cumans... Everyone hired the humans. Um, and then he basically tried taking land away from Monomach, which basically caused him to be, which he ended up losing and made him to be badly written about at the same time. Mm-hmm. So his greatest sin was uh, losing. That's what you're saying. Yes. <laughs> I, I really don't think there's a, a much Coppermont to speak of. I don't think so either. I'm giving him a zero. <laughs> yeah, I'm giving him a zero. Okay, cool. I think it is time for Bojemoy. Oh my god. Basically, how good looking were they? Um, <laughs> I'm going to be very sorry for you, Brendan. Um, but here's the thing. We really don't have... So zero. Well, no, no, we, we, we have something. We have something. Okay. So, okay. Uh, I'm, sending it, I'm sending it to you right now. That's what we have. Hmm. Um, not having anything left over... Initially, I said a zero, but that's not really fair because I can't judge it. So true neutral five is what I will give him. Okay, but we do have a statue if you want a statue. Okay. Wait, why so did you is, say that? Because the coin is more contemporary. A statue is not. He's just an old man here. Yeah, so this is a statue in Lubitsch. Kind of commemorating the okay. 900 years of the uh, Lubitsch Accords. Okay, well, I'm still saying a five. Okay. So you're giving him a five, and I'm going to give him a, a two just for having a coin. So that's a seven for Bojemoy. Zavisibost. Dependency. How long were they dependent to the throne? How long do you think he ruled Chernigov for? Two years. No. Oh, near the end of his life? Yeah. Uh, Fifteen years. That's actually very close. So Alieg ruled Alieg of Chernigov, the son of woe. Ruled Chernigov from January 1st, 1097 to August 1st, 115, 1,115, um, for a total of 18 and a half years, or a total point of 7.40. We're going to count his co-rule because um, end of war succession is him ruling during that time, because he technically was still trying to keep Chernigov under his control. Okay. Yep. So seven. Point forty points, so eighteen and a half years. We're still counting this against Ivan the Terrible's reign. Mm-hmm. So that gives him a total score of forty three point forty. Is that's not bad? Yeah, like he got a zero on Compromat. I think if he was more of a bastard, he probably would have done way better. He did like better than Rurik, technically for comparing points, and he's a bit worse than like, like not like. Point thirty points worse than Sviatoslav the first, so it's not bad at all. Nah, but the question is, all you people who listen to our podcast, thank you very much for doing so. But uh, because they're a guest post, we, as we mentioned earlier, we're going to send them to a different place. So, Brendan, uh, do you think they are likable enough, uh, exiled enough to send a summer in Sochi, or 
because in Russia you always party in Sochi, or should we send them off to Siberia to freeze in the cold? I really liked um, Oleg. I, like I said before, I admire how scrappy he was and how he came back from being an Isigoy and came back from being in exile. So I'm going to say he, he gets to party in Sochi. I get to say he gets to spend the summer in Sochi as well. I, I was reading this guy and the more I read about him, the more I liked him. And I was like, yeah, this guy, great story, you know, ended up doing this thing in the end. He didn't always win, but when he did, even if, even when he won, even when he lost, he won. Like he still got his goals. Mm-hmm. So, which is always Cherdigov. So yes. So Alieg, you are now being sent off to Sochi. Uh, should we have like some beach music for this? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, what's that thing where like in cartoons where they cut to a person who's like on a beach in Hawaii and they're reclining and it's yes. like a steel guitar comes in on the background. Yes. During that, that is the music. <laughs> um, so Hawaii music. Got it. And then for the, I think summer in Sochi, just whatever feels really cold. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, got it. So, Alieg, enjoy your summer in Sochi. You're the first person there for the party. We'll figure out who's going to be the next guest spot because um, it depends on who we find, who I find interesting during research, honestly. Um, so it might be a while. Yes, that is basically the end of the episode. Uh, Brendan, do you have any recommendations? Yes, for this episode's recommendations, I want to recommend the album Post American by the band MS Paint. Um, MS Paint is a band that I saw live last month supporting uh, Solglow. Solglow is a much more well-known band. I hadn't heard of MS Paint before and I really, really enjoyed their performance because they were a punk band, but they didn't have a guitarist. They just had a synthesizer and they had a drummer, but they also had a guy... uh, you know, playing some drum samples as well in the background. And they're a very unique sounding band. And I'm a particularly big fan of their song, Information, off of that album. Awesome. That sounds really cool, actually. So my recommendation is taking time to travel and mentally distress yourself. So as you all know, we were on a bit of a longer hiatus than usual because I was struggling with my master's degree. And um, what do you do when you no longer want to work? Take a vacation. You take a vacation. So I went to the UK, um, met with Battle Royale. And so you think you can rule Persia with, you know, with Ben and Umberto. And then I met Totalis Rankium, you know, Rob and Jamie. Awesome time. And two weeks after that, um, went on a work trip to the West Coast, which is still pretty fun. And then went to Colorado, which is awesome. Very relaxing experience. I got super behind in my homework, uh, which is very stressful when I arrived. But um, it was so awesome seeing everything. So um, I definitely see the UK again. I missed some spots in Wales. Wales is great. And also I think I have to do Scotland too. And then um, Scandinavia might be soon because I want to see some stuff there. But yeah, some recommendation. Go travel. It's fun. If you Even if it's like to the next town over, go see something new. I like, you know, when I visit Brendan, I like seeing museums and all that. Even if it's like two hours away. It's fun. To get more direct contact with us, feel free to access our website at czarpowerpod.com. Uh, there you can find the show notes, pictures, bibliography, and vote on whether you think Aliyag really deserved the summer in Sochi 
or to be sent off to Siberia. It also has links to our social media, which is just at ZarPowerPod. Zar is spelled T-S-A-R, which is also the code for the Intelligence Beach Conference, so feel free to buy a ticket. Only 20 bucks if you buy before October 1st, plus a 10% discount with Zar. Hello, this is Editing Roberto here to let you know that our intelligence speech presentation will be on the Nazino tragedy, or Cannibal Island, and the things that led up to it happening, and what exactly did happen. Because this is intelligence speech, it won't be as detailed as possible, but I'll basically get the skim notes and talk to Brendan about it. Brendan does not know we are doing this, I just refuse to tell him. So, um, yeah, we get to talk about Cannibal Island. It'll be a very finger-licking good time. Please see our show. It's going to be great. Um, if you'd like to support the show by helping us expand and grow, feel free to subscribe to our Patreon and get access to bonus episodes for both Star Power and History of Sacramento, Georgia. We also have an Amazon book wishlist, PayPal, and coffee. If you'd like to do something that's free, leave a uh, review on your favorite podcast host, be it Apple, Spotify, or anything else. Reviews are great. It's cheapest thing you can do for this podcast. And Brendan, how can people find your stuff? Um, the best place to find me is on Twitter um, at Foster underscore writing. I'm not as active there as much anymore because I really like Blue Sky, but I am somewhat active and whatever I'm doing, I will post it on there. It'll contain links to my blog on Substack as well as my musical project, Awesome. And that's a dos vidyanas tovarishi for me. And for me, Volosh Porosh died parazitov.